Welcome to Dangerously Likely. I'm Caleb. And I'm Terrell. And today, we're dangerously likely to feel a little hopeless. Let's go above the fold with this week's headlines. Okay, so former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows has stated that Trump tested positive for COVID three days before one of the presidential debates uh, with President Joe Biden without telling Biden or anyone else. It's important to note that Trump also in this time period visited Gold Star families, you know, hugged them and whatnot and went to many other events. Didn't he have like a private party in New Jersey or something? Like a a fundraiser? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And he did all this while he was positive for COVID um, before anyone actually knew that he was positive for COVID. Um, If you all needed to be reminded, it just kind of goes without saying the kind of person that will possibly, maybe most likely, maybe already is the Republican nominee in 2024. That's not even the lead story from Trump right now. The lead story from Trump is the fact that he had a Fox News interview and admitted that he fired Comey so that he wouldn't be prosecuted and then followed up to say, oh crap, what was the other thing? It was the obstruction of justice charge that he admitted to. Oh, and then he admitted that on the call with um, the Secretary of State for Georgia, he told them to just say they found 1100 or 11,000 <laughs> ballots so that he could win Georgia. Like those are the current leading stories. Are there going to be any repercussions or are no. we also desensitized? It's just kind of like, it has oh, nothing to do with desensitization. Is it? Cause I feel tired. <laughs> I mean that too. <laughs> um, it actually is perfect for our topic that we're going to have later, yes. but <laughs> yes, the U S can't prosecute a president a former current president. It just, it can't or won't both i would say they play into each other right like if you're not going to do it then by default you can't do it if you're not going to set the precedent then you don't have the the mechanisms to do it we have the mechanisms there's no reason that um one there's no reason that congress didn't impeach him while he was president because the uh, Mueller report clearly said we're pretty sure he obstructed justice we just didn't want to go through the legal battle to get all the information we need. So we're going to let Congress figure it out because you guys have the remedy to impeach him if he did. But we're pretty sure he did it. Um, and then one party was like, we don't care. We didn't read the report. Um, <laughs> you expect us to read a fucking report? I did. Yes. <laughs> we do expect you to. Fuck. But you have to remember how many countries has this country specifically invaded because a political leader jailed their political opponent or there were questions or comments about if they were even a democracy anymore because they were prosecuting a political opponent. Like, we can't, we as a country, not a country, we as an institution cannot support the idea of going after a former president for doing wrong because we have created this image that the... Um, respectful and diplomatic approach from politics is what keeps a democracy alive. Well said. Well said. Was that your question too? What's around the world? What's going on around the world? I thought you had more to add to the Mark Meadows thing and I 100% took over It just goes into the theme of hopelessness and burnout. (laughs) And the fact that we should all just die. Oh, um, zooming out of the U.S., though, let's see what's happening around the world in under a minute. And yes, Caleb, you can time me this time because I only have one story. Um, French culture is actually on the verge of collapse right now, <clears throat> all because of 
Yel, um, a gender-neutral pronoun introduced <laughs> by Le Petit Robert, a linguistic authority in France. Did you know, in 1634, the Académie uh, Française was founded with the sole purpose of protecting the French language? Mm-hmm. Because the French language is very gendered, um, even their version of they, there is a male version and a female version. And if you're talking about a mixed group, you use the male version. Yeah. Um, it's very similar to Spanish. Spanish is the same way. They, this academy is been in charge of so certain things as not allowing um, individuals to say Le Weekend, which is just the Americanized way to say la fin de semaine, which is the end of the week. Um, also that's gendered in there. It's gendered, but also this Academy doesn't like the idea of outside forces like the U S presenting weekend, which is not a French word is an English word and people shorthanding it and just saying le weekend instead of la fin de semaine. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, so this whole Academy is freaking out. And actually the first lady um, stepped up and made a statement recently saying that she is concerned that the woke politics of the Americas is invading into French culture and ruining their perfect language. So that's what's happening around the world. God. Woke. Do you think, would you consider us a woke podcast? Do you think that the first lady of France is warning her people against us? Against. No, because not like enough us. people in France listen to us, but. <laughs> Um, <laughs> at least I pronounced everything correctly because I do have a background in French. So I, Dude, I so do, <laughs> I do respect the language, and I think it's important to understand the frustrations. But also, there is nothing that unique about the French language that they need an academy that only concerns itself with reviewing the language since 1634. That's just ridiculous. So yes, maybe yeah. we are a little woke. I don't know. I, my view is that, like, I think history should be preserved, obviously, yeah. but things don't last forever. Things change. And if languages change sometimes, that's okay, too. We'll be right back. <laughs> so, obviously, I started this whole intro by being like hopelessness like the romantic because i'm trying to be optimistic for once in life it might be the christmas spirit don't hold it against me ouch um hey hey i think i think there is a time for hopelessness and it's okay to feel that way and sometimes there's a time for hope and maybe this episode can be both or maybe not we'll see what happens i think our hope episode was the biden administration and since then it's been downhill um But I mean, I do think you bring up a good point of there is a time for hopelessness. And I I know we've talked about this off the air a little bit, but it seems like there is a resounding feeling that our country is hopeless, let alone anything else that functions under it. I mean, you have the Supreme Court currently hearing some very provocative and influential cases, and you have individuals like Justice Sotomayor. Um, asking if the institution itself will survive based on how these judgments are perceived by the public. And then you have Justice Breyer, who highlights the only reason the Supreme Court um, rulings are even listened to is because the public has faith that they are making the right choice. 
all important because we know that civics failed this country multiple times over. The Supreme Court gave itself the power to determine what is and is not constitutional. It is not written in the Constitution that they have this power. So it is very important that the fabric of this country has relied on this, I don't want to say complacency, but this complacency by the public. Mm-hmm. And then you have the Atlantic um, producing this article that's essentially asking, is democracy dead in this country? So I want to pose a question to you, or at least get your thoughts. Okay. One, if it is, and two, when did it start? When did the slow drip of blood start leaking from the Statue of Liberty, if you will? Um, wow. Because you have the Graphic. you have an international institution saying that the U.S. is a backsliding democracy. Mm-hmm. So clearly, there are some feelings, but I want to get your opinion on it. Well, honestly, we're still a democracy, but uh, that doesn't mean we haven't started going downhill. <laughs> and so when do I think we started going downhill? Oh, man, I feel like you could argue a specific year, in a, a specific event and be right about it all. You could argue that then it went argue downhill. a specific year and event. <laughs> well, I mean, like, like for me, you know, I felt like I was really introduced or started paying attention a little bit more to what politics were. Um, when Obama got elected mm-hmm. president, just because by that time I was only like 10 or 11, maybe I was 12. I don't remember, but you know, I was super young and my parents made a big deal out of it. They were like, this is literally, we're watching history. We're watching this. This is important. And so like, I still have a very clear memory of watching, um, Obama speak at his inauguration mm-hmm. and I, I, you know, as a still a kid then I didn't really you know, comprehend everything. I didn't really uh, actually pay attention to politics after that by any means, but slowly over the years I did. And I think like the biggest thing that I remember and I was part of, like I was, I was kind of connected with, because at the time I was following politics a lot was when Donald Trump became president. And I wasn't really sure what to expect but then I don't think he did anything that was extraordinarily unexpected for the kind of guy that he showed himself to be. Hmm. And I think what was really bad about that is I think we slowly started to be demoralized more and more and more from all the different things that happened to him. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I felt like for me, and maybe this is why we feel this way today, for me, it felt like when he was elected, it just started to become more demoralizing. And while things kept happening that we expected, it was, I know we talked about the word desensitized a lot, Mm -hmm. but it kind of felt like we just continuously were desensitized to it. And all the while our, our moral, like our morals and our, not necessarily our morals, but our, our motivations and whatnot of like what this country could be started to maybe crack a little bit without us knowing. And now today, you know, we have a president that isn't Donald Trump that actually is trying to make government work for people. You know, there is hope. Um, But, you know, you see a completely other side of the political spectrum here that like, even if you're a conservative and, you know, you don't necessarily identify with your party or maybe you do, even though you 
like desperately want them to not do culture wars and just, you know, lower your taxes or something, you know, your party is this crazy, super right wing, um, basically the party of Trump. And maybe it's not even Trump anymore, but it is, it's this party of, of, you know, we're going to think all Muslims are terrorists. That's from Lauren Boebert. We are going to. Um, we are no longer a woke podcast because you quoted her. I just want you to know that. Well, but I'm quoting her to make a point I, I about know. where the party is at. And this party is at this point of like, they, they, for two days, they were like, oh, there was literally an insurrection. There was an angry mob that wanted to kill everybody in the Capitol. Did they even do that for two days? So there's an argument to be made. Mm-hmm. Um, and then suddenly they just, it's like a switch flicked. Not to any of our surprise, but that's kind of the problem. And since none of this is surprising, it feels like the gravity, it feels like even though we know there's a gravity there, it's hard to feel it. It's hard to feel it from these big, literally democracy changing, country changing events that have just happened in the last eight months. Yeah. And we and, haven't had an opportunity to grieve or think about or reflect like we are. We have because we have this platform to share with our listeners and and process. But I, I do want to lean into what you highlighted there, because I do think it's important. Um, so like I mentioned, there's a really great article in The Atlantic right now um, titled Trump's Next Coup Has Already Begun. It was written by Barden Gleeman. Um, and he brings up a lot of points that you mentioned. It's not so much this big, flashy um we're going to see another insurrection where people storm the Capitol, but it's the fact that one of the major Mm -hmm. political parties in this country are struggling to one, say that our last election was free and fair Two, they're struggling to say that the current sitting president that they all certified at the end of the day (laughs) is truly our president. Well, don't make them seem like they're trying here. They're not trying. I am not There's like maybe two people in Congress or in their party that's trying and they've already been cast out. And even beyond that, when you think about the safeguards, and this is actually a a really important point that comes out of the article, um, when we start getting into these spaces of who or what are the safeguards to rectify some of those situations, you have the Democratic Party itself trying to bring people back to the norm and, Mm -hmm. and distance themselves from this conversation, not wanting to entertain a conversation about whether or not Joe Biden is the duly elected president, which he is obviously not wanting to be brought into these conservative talking points that are doing no good for democracy, but in doing so they're allowing for these conspiracies and these thoughts and and Mm -hmm. presence to keep going. Yeah. And like this article says, the, the coup has already begun because as we prepare for a potential election in 2024, (laughs) the stage is already set to say that the loser actually won the winner stole the election and here are all the spaces and places that we can prove it. And if there's any discrepancy, like Georgia continues to be blue, there's no way that this election can be valid because Georgia would never vote that way. There's this new, yeah, there's, there's this new uh, perception that things have to go a certain way. And in doing so has crippled us. Yeah. I, I just think that like, I, I think we're in kind of a holding period right now. And what I mean by that is like Democrats have some control and there's not shit going on every single day. I mean, I obviously I mean, 
Obviously there's not depends. terrible shit going on every single day. There are things happening. Like government is doing something. Yeah, in in some respects. And but we're not concerned respects. about World War Three every morning because Twitter found out that Trump tweeted at yeah. Iran and said, "I hate you." Like, <laughs> I, I, like, like. But it feels like we're in a holding period. It doesn't feel like it's really gotten better. Like, and I just like. I look to, and I know that like a lot can change in a year as we saw mm-hmm. with these elections that happened, um, these off-year elections like Virginia and whatnot, where a bunch of Democrats- I rolled my eyes for the listeners to know. I know. I know you're going to roll your eyes at this, but I guess like in just one year, Virginia Democrats were not able to hold on to what that momentum was of getting- of getting Biden elected. It wasn't even a full year. It, yeah, right? It, it, well, it I mean, it was barely because the elections were both in November. Yeah. But um, if Democrat, if the Democratic Party, it's it's like we have this one force, you know, in, in our little movie set here. They're the villain and they're consistent and we know exactly what their plan is. And the Democrats... It's like it's like you're the hero, you're in the room, and the classic thing happens where the evil, the evil villain goes, Here's my plan to destroy humans, or here's my plan to do all this or whatnot. And it's like it's like the hero sits there and goes, I'm gonna go argue about this thing that doesn't matter about that doesn't have anything to do with what you're doing. And that's like it's like the game that's being played, we're not even at the level. And even though we're in a holding power and have some control, I just, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen in the midterms. I don't know what's going to happen in 2024. And, you know, you can talk to all the activists and stuff and you always got to believe, you always got to hope. But sometimes it's okay to just be like, damn. <laughs> and that's how I feel right now. <laughs> well, going back to the the start of this, we spoke a lot about, the Trump presidency, I mean, even in your above the fold story, it was a great highlight of you have a former president who is literally walking around happy that he got away with an obstruction of justice charge and <laughs> yes. pleased that he he's got to see. He's told us what he's done and yeah. we're still sitting around doing fucking nothing. But the worst fucking movie fucking ever. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah, I've seen worse. <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, where's my car? Pretty bad movie, but also almost funny. the more surprising thing now is that the hero in this setting isn't doing anything about the evil villain who just told us our plan more than what the villain's going to do. Yeah, are we? Yeah. But my my question there is: so is this all based in the Trump presidency, or has America been a backwards sliding democracy yeah. for some time, and we're just being forced to see it in this particular moment? I think that. You know, there's a lot of angles you could go at it from. You can go at it. I like there's been plans in the conservative party since the 70s to get to a certain point in their party and in America of how can we build up the infrastructure to basically always win. And even though they don't win every election, they have arguably succeeded. Yeah. I think because I mean, just think about what our news is dominated by. Think about like all the stuff that we talk about 
a lot of it, and not necessarily what we say, but a lot of the issues we talk about are driven because Republicans got us there one way or another. And I guess it's hard to um, it, it it's hard to fathom that like even forty years ago, like we were in a spot where there was some powerful people in one of the parties that decided, hey democracy can be something that can be taken advantage of. And that's what we're going to do. And that's obviously evolved. I don't know if their plan was to get a Donald Trump figure in there. I don't think it was, but their actions led to that. Mm -hmm. And by they, there's like, you know, Dick Cheney was part of that group. Uh, uh, Not Rupert Murdoch. um, Roger Ailes was part of that group. Um, You know, and I, I guess like my, I don't think that democracy is dead. And I think it's, I, I actually do believe that if we are going to die as a democracy, it's not going to go down without some kind of fight. Hmm. I don't know what that looks like. It might be happening right now. I don't know. But it's also like, it goes to show that like one party recognizes that and still has a hard time of doing something about it. And the other party just doesn't give a shit anymore. I think that, there's a lot of things that need to change. I think the low hanging fruit is that we need to actually codify some of this bullshit Supreme Court stuff like Roe v. Wade into our law. It's very funny you mentioned that because that actually was it's like one we, of my roots. Of I mean, we shouldn't, this ha- we shouldn't be having these big Supreme Court fights that just supercharges a nation that's already exhausted and supercharged in some way. Well, also too that why are we leaving it up to like two people to fucking ten people okay, to fucking do like, this? It's more than two and it's less than ten. Ironically, <laughs> no. you still didn't get the number right. <laughs> no, um, I can't math anymore. I can tell. Um, <laughs> but it's funny you mentioned that, right? Because just like Justice Breyer mentioned. Rulings by the Supreme Court are only codified by the complacency of the public to just accept their ruling as fact. Because again, yes, the Supreme Court was not granted this ability to determine what was or wasn't constitutional. It was granted the ability to put a check on the legislative and judicial or the legislative and executive branch mm-hmm. and also break disagreements between them, which it hasn't done in years. The only time because any, if you also listen or read any rulings, you'll read, and this has to be a part of every Supreme Court ruling, while they might say um, gay marriage is legal in the country, they will always put a caveat unless otherwise defined by Congress, because Congress still has the right to make a law, and then that can be challenged and determined if it violates any of the amendments. Yeah. The only time Congress has ever actually taken steps to codify and and ingrain a piece of a Supreme Court decision in law is in the 1960s, well, 50s into 60s, when the Supreme Court started making decisions about voting rights. Mm. And the Democrats happened to be in charge and recognize, recognize that by taking those decisions and putting them in law, they had then bought themselves an election, essentially. Like, let's just call it what it is. Sure. They had gotten a group of people that they knew would be appreciative and probably vote their way for generations. We never did it for Roe v. Wade. We've never taken an attempt to say that about any other election pieces. And now that we're finally starting to do it, it's when all the damage has already been done. 
Um, yeah. Any, really other, any other minor ruling, if you will, that has come through, we've allowed Preston to carry the day. Mm-hmm. So is this the Supreme Court's fault? Well, that's, that's a question that I don't think I could answer. I, look, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that the Supreme Court did not have some kind of influence in how it's decided to make its decisions in this country. 100%. I grew up thinking that like, I, I grew up not even thinking that, that you can, I thought that when a Supreme, Supreme Court makes a decision, it's done. Because that's just how it is now. Or that's, that's how, how we're that's taught. How, that's how... Well, that's how it happens in our society and nobody questions that. But like, did you know that the, I mean, you knew this, but did you know that the legislator, um, Congress can actually over like basically say, fuck you to the Supreme Court and mm-hmm. two thirds vote that decision away? <laughs> yes, they can do that. I, it's something that I think I did actually learn sometime in middle school, but I genuinely or high school, but I genuinely like don't remember it because when I started getting into politics, this is just kind of how the way it is. This is just, and I actually think I'm going to just go ahead and say this without any scientific backing here. Not that we need it, but um, I actually I mean, think I that if a poli we, sci major, well, was a policy major graduate with it. So there's probably some scientific backing I can pull in for you. Yeah. I, I, this won't happen, but if we were able to find a way to make like, um, like Roe v. Wade, if we were, able to make that law through congress if we were able to do that with maybe some kind of gun reform in all these big ticket issues that are everyone's fiercely divided over i actually think that would go a, a long way even if one side's super angry about how the outcome is i think that would go a long way in calming everybody down a little bit because then we wouldn't have every single year these massive decisions that makes the country feel kind of hyperactively uh, pissed off or happy, but like mad at each other kind of deal. Mm-hmm. I actually think that might be part of the solution to some of this. So I'm just going to go ahead and claim that. What do you so think? So Congress is the problem. <laughs> I think I think it's it's more than just one part of our government. I agree. That's why I asked those questions specifically in that way because I I think you. I don't think I know you've oh. been able to, to show the failure of all three of our major institutions, right? The executive branch is running unchecked because of this view that democracy requires both parties to pretend that there's some kind of peaceful transition of power, even when there's not mm-hmm. Congress is so bitterly divided that these big ticket items can't be tackled currently. And when they do even get brought up, it causes more issue or it takes too much political courage, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then you have the Supreme court who never had the power it has now making those decisions and giving Congress. It's like ace out of the hole of, all right, we don't have to worry about that anymore because the Supreme court just ruled and said that, yep, what they, what we want it can be done. Cool. Until it actually impacts their ability to be a politician. Again, giving African Americans, more safeguards in voting was the only time that Congress actually listened to the Supreme court and made a law to protect it. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I agree. <laughs> I, I think you hit it of it's all the institutions. It's there's the reason there's this hopelessness in our country right now is because there's no point to look at and see hope of fixing it. You can see each individual institution 
decaying or ignoring the problem. Yeah. Which is making the problem worse. I actually want to add to that. I, I, right now I feel tremendously burned out and I'm feeling burned out with like, it's not just what's happening in our democracy and our society. Um, it's, it's like, I'm feeling kind of burned out with school, which thank God this is my last week of the semester. I need, I need a month break. Holy crap. But, um, so I'm kind of just feeling burned out with everything. I've been kind of a couch potato the last couple of weeks, um, just playing video games and stuff. And like the problem with that, especially when I feel when I'm feeling burned out from like all the stuff that's going on in the world and whatnot. And in the U S is like, then I kind of get into this mindset of like, I don't even want to look at it. I don't even want to think about it. Mm-hmm. You know, the only reason I'm still thinking about it at the moment is because we do this podcast and I actually do love to do this. So, you know, trade-offs, but um, <laughs> the, the issue is, is it's, it's like when we start to feel that burnout and we don't want to pay attention, then suddenly it's like, how are we going to actually fix this if nobody wants to pay attention? Mm-hmm. And like, obviously burnout sucks and you should take a break, like do that. But it's like, I don't know. It, I, I don't know. I just feel this will pass. This too will pass. I as was they say. literally about to say that. This too will pass. The, my burnout, but also like some of the weird news that we're in at the moment. In like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the next two or three years of our democracy turns out, turns into something we weren't expecting in a good way. It could happen or it just kind of stays the same. I don't know. I refuse to believe that our democracy is actually going to fail. If we can survive a civil war, why would we fail now? Do we survive a civil war? The answer is no. But, <laughs> okay. But, Just but, wanted to clarify real quick. Wait, we're still we're still here though. I, I don't are know. Are we? <laughs> yes, we are. Are we? Even after all the bullshit, we're like, still kind of here. Even if there's so much wrong and so much we haven't done. A state was assassinated because of the civil war to put in yes. someone who they knew would cripple progress because of the civil war that then gave way for what? 60 years. Can I do math? Yeah. That then gave way. No math. (laughs) Right. That then gave way for 60 years of African-Americans still not being able Mm -hmm. to get the rights that they needed, which again brings me to the point of, I agree with you. I, I think, I think we glamorized, a lot of pieces of our history. And this is a point that I, I was hearing from you and it just kind of clicked for me. We talk a lot about the comparisons between our country where it is now and Nazi Germany. And a lot of people get very frustrated in that. (laughs) But one thing that we don't talk about is the fact that the global community forced Germany to create an education system that, educated its people on how they got there, why these things were happening, why they did happen, why they lost and ingrained in them the fact that they lost the war and how they treated people horribly. This country has done for generations an amazing job of distracting us, not letting us really know the full true history of our country. Yeah. And Pretending that anytime we flawed, it was a minor sin. Great example, the ability for this country to switch from we were in the midst of an insurrection. There was a former president who would not concede 
And instead of calling it what it was, it is now the big lie because we are so much more comfortable coddling it. And to me, that is a symptom and that is a sign that not only is democracy dying in this country, but it may be too late. That was really well said, you know, and I actually feel like this is a good place to end because I'm really just going to say that that possibly the only way to stop the trajectory we on we are on to help this nation actually get better and heal as politicians have talked about so much. Yes, I'm talking to you, Joe Biden. I think that we're going to need a little truth and reconciliation. Take us on a tangent, Caleb. Okay, so sorry, viewers. Maybe the last segment was a little bit of a tangent, but mine's kind of different. I felt like it was not that bad. But (laughs) (laughs) You said a tangent was bad. But um, I, and honestly, I'll be honest, I've only really looked at the headlines here. I haven't read the whole article, but I keep seeing these headlines about like how the EU and the US are going to impose some harsh economic sanctions on russia if they invade ukraine and i'm like i look at these and my initial impression is like okay why don't we just defend ukraine like we're supposed to because we're nato and that's our literally our goal is to you can't ukraine's not in nato i don't care and also we <laughs> context here yeah give me ele- context because i'm just looking at headlines <laughs> 9-11 happened First time we've ever used Article 2 in the charter and countries are still pissed off that all of NATO get involved in the war on terror that went on for 20 plus years. Like, Yeah, but this is a different situation. I completely agree, I, I but that it's... fatigue plays a lot into why, one, there's an active um, coalition to not let Ukraine into NATO because they know Russia's going to do something. But two, there's this belief if they can show something maybe the un will step in and fix the problems and send peacekeepers and yeah well i i guess (laughs) i guess what my initial impression in this apparently my long-lasting impression of this whole thing is like if we're going to tell russia oh harsh economic sanctions they've already been living under those yeah this is just this feels more of like this this almost feels like we're just allowing Putin to get away with it. Let's not forget Putin was a former member of the KGB. Like, yes, not to not to bring mental health into this and those pieces, but he lacks empathy. Seeing his people die because of harsh economic sanctions is not going to force his hand. Exactly. So to me, that's like that's like, OK, so Putin goes, OK, so all you're going to do is give me some more freaking sanctions. Well, then I'm just going to keep invading other countries. And that's that's just kind of it feels like that statement alone that we give is and maybe there was more stuff that we don't know about, but it just feels like an enabling thing for Putin. That's what it feels like. Anyways, uh, I actually wanted to ask you, what do you think of the uh, college playoff? I was going to say your tangent's not about college football. I'm shocked. Well, I well, I'm surprised yours isn't or is it? It's not. (laughs) Well, I'm surprised yours isn't because you've been talking to me about this all week because it's an amazing time to be a Michigan fan. Of course, I'm going to talk about a Cincinnati fan, too. Yeah, but <laughs> there's I, only one fan here who is. I'm a Michigan fan. Like, yeah, yeah it's fair. awesome to that's be a fair. Cincinnati fan, but man. Okay, so we got number one Alabama, number two Michigan, number three Georgia, 
in number four, Cincinnati. So you dumb. think, okay, there you go. <laughs> Cincinnati is un- Cincinnati's undefeated. They beat Notre Dame and Indiana. They deserve to be at a higher rank. Indiana sucks, but I mean, sure, but they are at least a part of a conference. The argument against Cincinnati is the fact that they are not a part of a, um, a conference. Oh, a power, a power five. Yeah, a power five, a power five conference. That is a fair argument. But when one of the teams that you beat is the number six at the end of the season sure. and you're still saying that they don't deserve to be higher than four, I think you should reconsider. And the committee has always been inherently biased towards SEC. Yeah. I mean, and Ohio State. So I was going to say Clemson, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. Those are their favorite four. So I just believe since he should have been higher, I think if you look at Georgia's schedule, they did not play any teams worth anything um and the one time they really played a ranked team that was worth noting they lost miserably because alabama whooped them <laughs> yeah Mich- if, if, if georgia still has to be in the playoffs they should have been number four they don't have to be in the playoffs though that's my point well i think what frustrates me alabama is- also shouldn't jump michigan because cool you beat georgia but as i just demonstrated georgia i think was inflated not actually well ranked or well believed yeah so i don't i'm happy with michigan in two but i can make an argument for why michigan probably should have been in the one seed because they had a harder schedule and that's always the conference's argument is what what's your schedule strength do you have a hard schedule well what doesn't make sense to me is you're putting you're putting this huge and i don't know maybe we'll all be proved wrong and georgia will win the whole damn thing i don't think that's happening but Worst comes to worst, they play Alabama again, and they're going to get whooped again. Georgia played two ranked teams. I don't remember the first one, but they were like number eight or something like that. And then they played a bunch of nothing teams, undefeated. And then they play number three, Alabama, and they lose pretty handedly by like 20 points to Alabama. Alabama then jumps Michigan for the number one spot. Michigan (laughs) was already number two at this point, even though Michigan beats number two, Ohio State. And Michigan then goes to win their conference by beating another ranked team like number 15 or 16, like by 40 points. Why isn't Michigan number one? That's so silly to me. Michigan was unranked. Why isn't Cincinnati number three at least? Michigan was unranked, so it was already kind of an understanding that that was happening. The committee doesn't want to see Alabama and Georgia have a rematch in the semis. So we already knew that however it fell, Alabama and Georgia could not end up playing each other unless they go into the finals. And the hope is, if we're being completely honest, the hope is that both of those teams can beat the teams that the committee feels doesn't belong so that it can be a rematch in that space. And that's just how it is. I would, I would, the, the only good thing that can come out of this weird college football playoff ranking is that Michigan and Cincinnati both win their games and are in the college football championship. I definitely think Cincinnati is going to give Alabama a run for its money because Alabama is known to underestimate teams when they don't think they're going to be good enough to play them. And Cincinnati, I feel like will one expect that, but two, they're really good at taking advantage of those type of plays. And if Alabama gives them too much leeway, Cincinnati's just going to run away with it. I think the Georgia-Michigan game is going to be really interesting to watch. It is. I, I actually don't have. I don't really have expectations for that. I don't know what's going to happen. ESPN is favoring Michigan, which I don't like because it just doesn't sit well in my soul when they actually respect us. Um, well, I I don't really 
I don't feel like I have a good grasp about how good Georgia is because exactly. it's one thing to wipe out like a team that's won like two games by like 50 points, but then you lost against a team that was tough. Michigan's going to be a tough team. Are, is Georgia actually good? And I guess I don't know. I don't know. And that's so, why I'm like, I don't know what that's what that game is going to look like. I don't think it's going to be like Iowa was. I mean, we talked about this just before we started. I think Iowa the, got messed up. I think that game will mirror more Michigan State, Michigan. But also I'm seeing a different side of Jim Harbaugh right now. Like a great example is the second play of the game for Michigan. They do a, a trick play and our running back throws a 68 yard <laughs> touchdown. Like there you go. That's I, you I think it. Michigan's going to have a lot of fun. I, like I said last week, they sound like they're having a blast right I'm now. I'm proud of them. They came into this unranked. They had a 2% chance of even making it to the big 10 championship. 2%. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. I really think the, <laughs> I really think the, uh, the Ohio State win for the first time in like eight years. Yeah, no, that is is driving all their fuel right now. And I think there's a very good chance that they win the whole thing, but I'm not going to put that on them right now. But also, like, let's just enjoy the fact that Ohio State is literally decaying around us because they lost to Michigan and their quarterback just requested a transfer. All of their players are coming out like, I don't understand, blah, 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 blah. Why are people acting like Michigan's all this? All of their fans are having a moment of, I would just like to point out that Ohio State's bad year where we lost to Michigan, we're still ranked number five, I think it is. No, they're not even five. They're like six or seven. Okay, or yeah. Like that. They're, I think they're seven. We're still ranked number seven, but a bad year for Michigan, they're unranked. And we're all like, can we just take a second that you you are literally saying that an Ohio State bad year is just when you lose against Michigan. We're that good of a team that your bad year is because you lost us. Just remember that. (laughs) And then Ohio State fans are talking about how they beat Michigan State, but we couldn't do that. And Michigan State's having a whole moment because Hutchinson is a Heisman finalist and K-9 isn't. Who cares? And it's just Michigan won. I'm really enjoying because all of these teams have always said that Michigan has their head too far up their ass. They're rude. They're disrespectful. And any Michigan fan out there knows that anytime we played Ohio State, if we were at Ohio State, they would spit on you. They would kick you like they are the worst fans. Yeah. Michigan State will burn Lansing to the ground because they beat Michigan. So it's really great that they're just demonstrating <laughs> for the nation that they're trash. And Michigan's just doing what they got to do. <laughs> What's your tangent, Terrell? At this point, I feel like it should have just been that. Um, <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> my tangent is just going to be a, a quick repeat. Can the media get over the fact that Trump isn't president and find some narratives that are worth time? Because if I have to read one more fucking headline about <laughs> Kamala Harris living her life, I swear I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> no one cares mind. that she doesn't use Bluetooth headphones. I don't even use Bluetooth headphones. I don't. I Whoa, have, you're I out of touch, Terrell. Apparently, <laughs> they don't feel good in my ears. I, I've never liked them. I don't trust myself <laughs> not to lose them. But also, as Twitter has demonstrated, it's a security concern for her to use Bluetooth headphones because someone could tap them. Like, can we just stop with this annoying need it's to so critique dumb. the first black female vice president because we are that afraid to see color on our screen in that high of office. It might not yeah. be the same as when people were walking around the streets holding um, mannequins dressed up as Obama with a noose. 
but it damn sure isn't that far off. So that's my tangent. Well said. <laughs> All right. Well, that's our show. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at dangerously underscore likely or email us at dangerously likely at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening for notifications of our new episodes. I'm Caleb. I'm Terrell. And we're dangerously likely to see you next week.